0: Hello, my soul-seeking friends, it's Shanna. Thank you so much for listening to Sense of Soul podcast, enlightening conversations with like-minded souls from around the world, sharing their journey of finding their light within, turning pain into purpose, and awakening to their true sense of soul. If you like what you hear, show me some love and rate, like, and subscribe. And consider becoming a Sense of Soul Patreon member, where you will get ad-free episodes, monthly circles, and much more. Now go grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today on Sense of Soul, we have Robert Wykes. He is a former builder turned chaplain, charity chief executive, and his friends describe him as a visionary and storyteller. He now also writes on spirituality and faith, and he's joining us today to tell us about his new book, Pause, A Spiritual Power, Discovering the Entrance to Our Spirituality, where he shares the accounts of his own journeys, physical and spiritual, and how they helped him discover his own spiritual self, learning to find pause in life's experiences. So please pause and welcome Robert
1: Wikes. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. I'm really good. Thanks so much for being with me. Where are you at? Um, So I'm in Cheshire in the UK, south of Manchester and north of Birmingham, so around the middle of the country, yes. Okay. I'm in Colorado. One of my closest friends, Ken, lives in Colorado Springs. Oh. uh, I'm in Colorado every two weeks on a Tuesday, but not for real on Zoom.
0: (laughs) oh really
1: <laughs> yeah and I've never been to visit him we've met a few times in Grand Rapids because I go to Grand Rapids once a year I'm part of a, a charity um a trust that that uh, owns the right to some literature and um we have our meetings in college it's called our daily bread I don't know if you've heard of that as a daily reading thing so they are our publisher Um, of the book that we own the rights to so we go to their offices in Grand Rapids every May wow sometimes in October but mostly in May yeah the book that we hold the trust to is called My Utmost for His Highest it's um it's a daily reading book it's been around since 1927 it went into print My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers it's an incredibly well received book I would say yeah Okay. See, so, yeah, I mean, very well received. Sold. I think we've sold like twenty odd million copies already, or something. So, um, but that's been a lifetime of doing it, you know. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's Oswald Chambers. It's actually his wife that compiled. It's a long story, but the short version is uh, he and his wife were missionaries, and he taught in a Bible college in Britain. And then in the First World War, they served in Egypt. In a camp looking after actually Canadian soldiers as well as British soldiers. Um, And he used to speak and she used to write down, type up his messages. And then when he died, he died very suddenly at 42 um, during the war. The troops asked if they could have a copy of one of his messages or a couple. Um, They they obviously found him a good speaker, you know, very accessible. So she came home back to the UK compiled a 360-day daily thought from all of his writings and what have you and his thoughts in 1927 and uh it's it still sounds like hotcakes yeah
0: that's so interesting you know it reminds me of like Edgar Cayce's secretary that never got any <laughs>
1: <laughs> interestingly we've done quite a lot to give her some profile it was her absolute clear wish she didn't want to be named you see okay. it would have been an era as well you know it was in those days when it was considered not to be known you know it wasn't there wasn't a celebrity I suppose vibe about things really yeah yeah, Actually,
0: yeah.
1: I never met her I've only been doing it for 20 years so but that's opened me up to a whole world of stuff I would never have imagined you know really?
0: so. was it spiritual like esoteric was it just yeah like if you
1: it actually it's very interesting if you read his stuff it's very hard to pin him down so i would say he was right on the border of being a mystic a bit aloof in some ways because okay. it, so you could read one of his readings one day and you'd think he's a died in the wool calvinist you know and uh, and the next day you think dear me he's just everything goes you know. He, he was one of those people. He died at 42, and I think hmm. he unusually wow. came to an experience of God and spirituality hmm. quite young yeah. and seemed to have an advanced wisdom that I, I don't know where it came from. Interestingly, one of the people he read the most of, I think, was a guy called MacDonald, who wrote about angels and uh, – oh, I can't remember all the stuff he wrote, but he wrote – he wrote fairy tales, really, and okay. um, he wrote fiction, but it was often involving leprechauns and angels and, you know, the very ethereal stuff, very interesting. So, it's so very it was I- very allegorical, yeah. kind of. Very, yeah, very. I like so, that. Yeah. So, yeah, so that that's what my connection with the States is, really. Okay, well, that's, yeah. that's
0: interesting. Thanks for sharing that.
1: Yeah, well, it's been a part of my life in some ways for a, quite a while, yeah. Yeah.
0: Has it inspired you to write the book that you just did Um, or any of the books?
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, my brief history is that I ran a charity for 25 years, um, which was an old church building. So, you know, typical British church building in the middle of a pretty run down neighbourhood. Usual thing, big pointy roof and a clock tower on the side, you know, and all that bell tower. Um, So I took that over and converted it with, I put floors in it and rooms and had, it's very diverse. So we had a cycle workshop for fixing bikes, Um, but it was never about the bikes. It was about getting guys that were on drugs or, you know, involved in all sorts of things and a bit lost and lonely, get them in and mix them in with some other folk, fix a few bikes, learn some skills and then, actually, uh, directly at the other end of the building, there was a lot of the other stuff. <laughs> directly in the building was all about you, which was a ministry for women who had difficult and challenging lives. You know, it could be cancer, and it could be coming out of prison. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really massage and beauty treatments. And oh. we, we used to say it was it was basically an hour out of the madness. Um, Joy, who ran that, she would say, you know, the women used to come in feeling rotten about themselves uh, and hopeless in a way and often they would go out being reminded that they're a person of beauty you know that they're worth spending time on that you know there's you know all that kind of stuff Um, yeah and then in between we had furniture referrals we give restored and gave away furniture food banks so it's all very very much about people on the margins. Actually, I love the people that nobody else is interested in. That's been my life, so I always wanted to kind of build a path for them. Um, yeah, so that's I did that for 25 years, and um, and then about well, whenever in 2000 in 2017, I wrote a book called "It's Not About the Furniture," which is a book to say everybody looks at like the charity. And I just kept saying, forget the furniture, it's the hands that are carrying it. You know, it's it's the person whose head is lying on the bed that we gave away that's of interest, not the bed. So and then I left the charity in 2020 and I decided I had to write pause. Um, because, again, in tandem with my int- my interestingly, my life has always been about very physical, tangible problem solving.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: people are hungry. How can we get them food? But all the way through that, I've had this long experience of knowing deep down that life is much, much more than the body and the mind. And that's what the book is. The book is saying, you know, there there's, if you like, there are three parts to you as a human being. And it's too easy to concentrate on the intellect and on the body and too easy to forget that there's a spirit within you that also... He's hungry for food and, and and for life and exposure, and recognition. So yeah, that's my real kind of uh, passion. So that's what the book came from. Yeah,
0: I love that, Rob. That's so amazing. I really align with that and and have a deep respect for that. It's very inspiring, and I think that I'm similar. So I've always been that type of person. If you've got a problem, I'm gonna I'm gonna love you. <laughs> <laughs> because I, not that I, you know, I think it used to be in some way. Um, I thought I could fix them then, you know, there was like a yeah, yeah. dependency. and then there was this opposite thing for me where I was like, I'm not going to be codependent ever again. So I'm going to let everybody just help themselves. I'm only going to focus on me <laughs> <laughs> and it went way on the other side, Yeah, then, yeah. but there's this natural thing in me. You know that desires to see the unfortunate or those who struggle, you know, find their light within too. The misfits.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. And and I'm a seeker as well. I grew up Catholic, kind of. I, I mean, I was born to a deeply, deeply rooted Catholic family. You know, I'm like the first person who went to a public school. Wow. On both sides of my family, and. I had to like kind of shed all of my conditions and everything I'd been told and seek from the inside out rather than from the outside in.
1: Yes I understand I completely understand that yes in fact one of the the challenges for me writing the book is that I mean in a sense I grew up with absolutely no context for religion you know my father wasn't interested at all and it I don't know if he knew what an atheist was, but he didn't have any interest in the possibility of anything else. And then my mom was forced to be brought up a Catholic. Her mother married a guy, and she promised that she would bring the children up Catholic, even though she herself wasn't. So, so my mom kind of always harked back to that as her religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we never went to church. I was I think I was twenty two, maybe twenty one, when I first entered a church building first even considered anything religious so yeah so i had that kind of journey of being an adult in a way before i started to wonder is there anything there and also i then became a christian within the framework of a very unquestioning uh, expression of the faith so a bit a bit similar to what you were just saying really i i mean i had a very i call it a damascus road conversion i you know, no, I, I probably was programmed to call it that by what I was taught, but I was literally smoking pot. And then <laughs> a week later, I was in a church building and yeah. there was a baptism, you know, a full immersion baptism. And the thing that was has always been unique for me and special is that I didn't have anything to hang any of this on. It was just a bunch of really weird people singing weird songs that didn't rhyme around this <laughs> around this big tank and then it was this poor young guy about my age being drowning it you know sort of. yeah. <laughs> and it was, so and i just remember sitting there at first thinking you know they're all on acid or they're, they're, they've all smoked something that i haven't been given you know And i remember sitting there thinking this is so weird and then um i had a very much a, i would call it an out-of-body experience i had a definite sense that i was not in my body and i wasn't present in that room but i was looking at it from outside or above it um it's a you know lots of people will say this you know they've had this experience and and i had not an audible voice but i had a, a a voice in me or from outside of me say um you will never feel right or clean until you also are baptized and i think i added all a lot of that in because i don't believe it was about me getting in the water and being baptized and i actually didn't because i'm a very stubborn person <laughs> and, but it was it was just a, a voice saying to me there's something else there's something mm-hmm. so different that you've never encountered before mm-hmm. and you're tasting it now i i always look back and think you know that was the moment that i was in a way introduced to the reality that i am also spiritual i have a spirit within me that communicates and accesses and understands the the world the universe in a way that my mind never will and my body will never really truly grasp so i think that was the beginning of a an interesting journey and again i pick up on something you said that i you know it's taken me many years to keep looking and looking and looking and asking um, I've got this wonderful book here in my hand called the Bible. You know, the, it's it's got all this this interesting literature in it, and I remember thinking very often, why does everybody read this so differently mm-hmm. to the, every other piece of literature we have in our hand? You know, and it doesn't do any damage for me in terms of my belief in Jesus. That you know, I'm, I'm a solid Christian. I'm convinced. You know, Christ is Christ. You know, and I get the whole thing hangs together in terms of you know how we might understand God. Um, but I'm not sure about the exclusivity. I'm not sure about the dogmatic approach. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm I'm not sure that any well it's not that I'm not sure I just don't I don't need anymore to be mm-hmm. so exclusive that I'm the only person in the room that knows the truth.
0: <laughs> I was just having a conversation with a friend this morning who her background is very deeply Jewish in her family. Right. Mine, of course, is deeply rooted Catholic, but yet her and I come eye to eye on many, many things because we both kind of separated ourselves from the dogma. Yeah. And yeah. we have these deeply rooted genetic, not only genetic, but also just what we were told. And so it's interesting you didn't. And then so then when you experience it's it's a totally different experience. So I'm having to undo to be able to get to where you are. And to receive it more raw without, this is what I was told, you know, or yes. this is the way it was translated to me or explained to me when I picked up a Bible and just read it for myself without, you know, with new eyes, right. Without yes.
1: yeah, that's in, in it
0: really does. having to shut the voices down, you know, like they try to come in I'd be like, no, I want to receive this word. Yeah. I have a totally different view now. So it's interesting. You're right how we can read this one book and all have different ideas on it. Yes. But I think a lot of it, there were so many conditions behind a lot of it.
1: I mean, it's kind of, I've always said to many, many of my friends, it's true in almost every aspect of our lives. If you join the bowling club, you discover that the bowling club five miles away has got a different way of going about it. And they, they think bowling is different. You know, your rules are different to our rules. We all do this. And I mean the approach that I'm taking, and I find for me the beauty in it is, I'm I'm trying to say, look, before we discuss, you know, God, whatever that means, before we discuss a perspective on religion or expression of, can we first just accept that we are body, mind, and spirit, that, and then no human being is excluded from spirituality, and then we can start walking down the road of. So where do we touch? Where do the where do the things I think are important? and matter, right. touch with the things that you, you find important and matter. I, I matter. Um, one of my um, early light bulb moments was reading a guy called Bede Griffiths. Bede Griffiths was a Catholic priest, Benedictine um, priest, and he went out to India in the 70s, I think, somewhere you know in the 70s. He went out there and I just remember mm-hmm. reading his story where he sort of set up a table and he, he had a monastery really and he had a table and he sat down to eat his dinner with his brown robe on with his tie and it, he said he looked around and realized everybody else was sitting on the floor eating with their hands
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he said he came to it to tell them something about god they were never going to listen because they were on the floor and he was on a chair mm. and it then got even more in a sense outrageous for him in within his context was he then got rid of his his brown habit and he put on, you know, one of those bright yellow, which yeah, is what a Hindu priest would read. And one of the things that I love about him is he, he constantly then writes on for 20 odd years. He writes in a way that you think, well, this hasn't changed his view of God and Christianity. He remained quite, he remained a devout Catholic and and carried on with lots of things that you perhaps think, you would let go of on this journey but he didn't need to let go of them and I find there's a fear sometimes in us that we think we have to let go of things and we don't if they're important to us it's important and you can reminds, hold on to it
0: reminds me of Thich Nhat Hanh as well yes yes something that always sticked out to me in his book living Buddha living Christ was he said I think it would be a travesty if someone read this book and they lost their religion I was lucky to find him as one of my first teachers in my journey. And I would have to say that, you know, I've expanded. I've read all kinds of ancient texts. I've been studying Gnostic Gospels for years now. And one of the things that was like the most important thing of my entire journey was to use my discernment. I wanted a raw experience. And and thankfully I did because I'd never been taught the Gnostic Gospels. So it was really raw (laughs) to me, but to pause. And to sit with myself, sit with this story I just read. Yes. It was a process of pausing, of using that discernment, like really sitting with it. So I've probably read some of the books, I don't know, like four to 10 times, depending on which book it was because of that. It was like, I read it initially and it was like, wait, what, what? what is no wonder why they buried this stuff like you said about the book that you have trust to it is secret knowledge because the average person would pick it up and
1: think this dude was crazy we gotta get rid of this one (laughs) yeah there's there is a sense in which it's it is hidden yeah partly because you don't understand it so it's you know that phrase hidden in plain sight You you can have it in your hand it doesn't mean to say you're going to get what it says. I remember one of the things on my journey, too, that's been quite powerful is that I started to read a lot of the desert fathers and mothers. You know, so, you know, in the in the second century, in the third century, the scores of people say Anthony was one of the famous ones, decided to leave the cities and the towns and then go off into the desert in Egypt and find a cave and sit there and go into the present, go into that silence. And I I remember one of the startling things was that they always got there and discovered the noise they were trying to leave behind had followed them because it was inside them. And you have to get past your own mind. But then the other thing that struck me was we're in a sense on the same journey, but we have to travel on different paths because I at one point was thinking to myself, wouldn't it be great to go and live in the desert, you know, in a cave and contemplate my navel for the next 20 years. Maybe for 10 minutes. (laughs) But I'm happily married. I've got two yeah. children, grandchildren. Yeah. I've got a life, you know, and I don't I don't want to lose that. So it's finding your own desert place, finding mm-hmm. somewhere which is your desert. Mm-hmm. and I and I, you know one of the things that I, I think I think I've heard you say this because I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, but one of the things that's really important as well is and what I say this in the book, pause, that I cannot tell you if you do this, this, and this, this is going to happen. So it's no good me saying if you sit down with your feet on the ground and your palms facing down and close your eyes and you know listen to Beethoven's symphony, you will have an experience like this. I can't. All mm-hmm. I can say is that we have to build in our lives pathways that we travel. And sometimes they're circular pathways. So I say, you know, I, I used to do a lot of cycling. I still do a bit. And when I first went out, I used to go. Round cheshire where i live and i like you know maybe 40 or 50 mile route and i like round routes i hate going in one direction and going back in the other so what i would do is i first i used to go out with my map and every other junction i have to stop do i go left do i go right and i could do the same route four or five times and i learned that actually after a while i never got the map out I just went. And that's when I enjoyed the cycle ride. That's when I didn't think left or right. I just enjoyed a natural sense. And I think spirituality is like that. We sometimes find a groove in life where I can't say every time, but I do know there's certain things that I do, you know, sitting quietly. Um, I, I, there's, a, there's a river not far from here. I love to sit and watch just the reeds waving. And sometimes I can sit there for an hour and I realise I've not been aware of anything. I've been somewhere else. And that's a pause moment. And so I don't know if if I go down to the river this afternoon and sit in the same place, I might just be wound up by the kids in the playground. (laughs) But but I might have a pause moment. Mm -hmm. But I know that if I don't attempt to go down there, I'm not going to have anything. And so it's, it's building those rhythms and places in your life. Mm. You know, and, I, and it's the desert places I call them. Where is your desert? Is it the living mm. room, the kitchen, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Garage, Mine's in the backyard every yeah. morning. It used to be me and the hawks. The hawks were every day with me. Huge hawks too. And it shifted this summer for the first time. And I've lived here for years. I'm getting these little hummingbirds. Which come and, and they get right in front of me and just stay still. Amazing. And the hawks are gone. So it's like yeah, I'm almost in a, in a new place of the, in the desert, but yet I'm in the same place. But things are shifting.
1: You, you know, have you, I don't know if you've read much of St. Francis, Francis of Assisi, but one of the big things with him was uh, was animals. He, he He had a real affinity. And it was because he saw them as brothers and sisters. So, yeah. you know, he he saw, yeah, Francis saw, well, he saw the whole of creation as as no different to you and I. Um, in a way, it was very magical because he was able to look at a tree and a bird, you know, whatever, a snake. And he could look at them and see the beauty and mystery of creation. Mm. he could see redemption so you know again he was a he was a devout catholic you know in if that was such a thing when he was around me you know he he assigned to that kind of religious expression although he was one off on his own but he he still had this this view that the universe in its entirety Mm -hmm. was at work with god and I, i i used to love listening reading Uh, reading anything at all about Saint Francis he it's a great story of him speaking to birds in a tree and they he was speaking to a bunch of people and and the birds were making a lot of noise and he turned around and asked them to be quiet and listen Uh and there's this story that you know for an hour the birds sat in the tree and never made a sound you know there's loads of stories like that and I find you know like Mahatma Gandhi, you know, Buddha, whoever. We find in in this world, people have travelled through it who have made a connection with the reality of existence. Nearly always, anyway, all the ones that I have ever read, um, they're people that have come to understand the mystery of silence, um, Mm. the sense of presence, the lack of need to rush. They discovered that You don't have to do everything, just do what's in front of you. All these things are part of this journey of recognizing that we're more than the mind and more than the body.
0: I love that. You're so spot on. And Robert, when I was reading the Gnostic text for the first time, very confused, like I don't understand what that means. And then I'd go outside to my backyard with my trees and my hawks and the moon and the sun that's how i understood that's how i learned the gnostic text was just sitting outside in that desert and nature showing me and that's what i'm writing a book about because it's how i understood the text in those present moments
1: and is that because we sometimes take information in and then we try to understand it rather than allow it to teach us you know i think for instance the stories of jesus the life of jesus if you read the life and words of jesus in an attempt to get some set of instructions you're going to just read a set of words and start compiling thoughts whereas if you just look at the story and you think you know wow he touched that person he listened to that woman you know he walked down that street he sat with these people you get to discover a human God. One of the things about Jesus is that I, I think he probably was in our reading anyway, the person that was most comfortable in his own skin. And that's a, mm. we have that saying, don't we? Oh, she's a comfortable in her skin and you know, he's comfortable in his skin. But when you come down to, you know, the incarnation, if you want, the thoughts of God um, becoming human, then it's quite interesting to look at Jesus and say, yeah, that's, god comfortable in skin and then i think you know he didn't rush he walked everywhere and um, he sat very often we don't need to get so hung up in the words the nitty-gritty of it there's a great saying i can't remember who said it we get into the thick of thin things <laughs> yeah and it, it, what you were saying there was you, earlier you said it earlier and you just said it now is again a, a great one for me is that You can take a few words and sit on them for a day, a week, a month, Mm. and they'll make a greater impact on you than reading a thousand books.
0: Oh, I just had one recently. Just love what you're saying. So, you know, in Thomas, um, the kingdom is inside of you and it's also outside of you. When you come to know yourself, you will be known. So for some reason, and I don't know what led me to, you know, sitting with this and having this moment. But I said, I think that maybe that last word, to be known, might be just to know. When you come to know yourself, you will know, rather than you will be known. Yes. And for some reason, in the way that I was receiving it before in my brain, I was saying, oh, you know, you'll be known, like God will know you. But this deeper meaning came through that it was more of the understanding that comes from within that, you know, that you know yourself, like know thyself. To me, just popped in my head. It was just like one of those epiphanies, you know, like that is when you have your connection to source.
1: I describe that as a point of you no longer require any questions in your life.
0: You don't need to be known.
1: There are no questions left. Yes. Yes. And that that is the ultimate mystery, isn't it? One of the things I do, I've, I've done it for a long time. I take funerals because I was, you know, in the ministry, as it were. And when I was at the charity, I just left Bible college and I was a railway chaplain. And so I, have I've, you know, preaching churches. I do all that bit of being part of the church. And part of that um, for a long time has been to, to conduct funerals. And uh, so I do that now quite a bit. It's just interesting to speak with people who have no religion. They always say, you know, oh, there's nothing after this. Once you're dead, you're dead. It's all over. Um, there's no sense of spirituality. But it, it takes literally a 10-minute conversation to help people to just question, well, what do you really think is going to happen now then? What, where do you think Marjorie has gone? You know, yeah. And I discover that inside everybody is a longing there is much more to this universe than the bit we can see getting back to what you just said is that one of the ways I say to people about comfort, if you like, or yeah, release, is that what will happen once we give up this fleshy body and this questioning mind is we'll be so complete, there won't be any questions there's no there is you know i know it's it's in in revelation which is one of the most bizarrest books that was ever attributed to the bible <laughs> but but actually you know there are some great lines in there and that that okay. line that says there'll be no more pain there'll be no more questions you know there'll be no more death there'd be no more of these things that with, with that restrict us in this world mm-hmm. so um and i think what you and i are talking about and obviously what you pursue uh, avidly and, and and express greatly is that there's so much more than just an intellectual understanding of the world and that knowing isn't isn't about knowledge knowing is not about knowledge
0: Hey listeners, did you know that Sense of Soul has a Network of Lightworkers Affiliates program? Now you get to work with one of our inspiring guests, and I'd like to introduce you to one of our affiliates. Master Hand Analysis Brent Bruning, he has studied the life patterns over 20,000 people, including many individuals in high-profile positions. Hand analysis is one of the most powerful ways to unlock your self-knowledge so that you can find your spark within. This session is sure to be as unique as your fingerprints. Book your session and get a special Sense of Soul discount at www.thepowerinyourhands.com and use the code SENSE OF SOUL. You can also find this link in the show notes. You can also go to mysenseofsoul.com. And in the menu, look for The Network of Lightworkers. Now back to our amazing guest.
1: Bede Griffiths said that as well. He One of the things Bede Griffiths said, which I think was a trigger for me many years ago, um, was that however hard I try, however hard you try, you're never actually going to grasp in your intellectual capacity. <laughs> and, and we use our mind and our intellectual capacity to reach out to God and he says it's very interesting. He says, but God will never inhabit that. We ne- mm. we don't discover God in our mind, we discover God in our spirit.
0: Yeah.
1: And and we then have these great conversations where we're struggling to express what's happened yes. through a different medium. <laughs> it's true. So, you know, that kind of Part. it's a bit like you know, I, I've got a teenage grandson uh, who's, who's absolutely lovely, he's he's lovely, but he's going through. Being a teenage boy, and um, and I've got two daughters, two granddaughters, and a wife and a a couple of daughters. So, um, and I've realised that my talking to my wife and my daughter, they don't really get what's happening to him because they've never been a thirteen-year-old boy, whereas I have. And so, and I have to think about that. That we sometimes trying to understand something with the wrong tools. Um, so yeah when we try to understand the spirit it's through the spirit we understand it's not through the mind
0: yeah Yeah. which is something that I just recently have been going through as well Robert I was such a hard seeker for the past few years which can take you down some rabbit holes which can be very distracting and my kids were like if you mention Sophia one more time we're (laughs) going to throw up okay we don't want to hear about her (laughs) I'm like Okay. But then there came a point where I paused. Yes. And I just stopped seeking. I don't know what happened because I mean, I was going hard. It's not that I came to all knowing. It's not that wasn't it. <laughs> but what happened was in that pause, I started processing things. Yes. So it was like I, it, you know, how when you, if you could remember going back to school, but you do, you feel like, whoa, this is so much. Like you can't even process it all, and then you know you. Once I started processing things, it was coming like full circle, and so I don't know if my book will ever be finished because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm having to rewrite this because I've you know now had an epiphany about this, and oh
1: yeah, that's that's interesting because I, I yes I would say that my book came out immediately thinking, well. Have I did I actually put everything in I wanted and um, what did I did I want to express that differently do I want to unpack this there must come a point when we release those things a bit like healing in a way yeah. <laughs> you've got to let it go and let it do its own job and I completely resonate with you when you you get to a point where you're not sure have you researched it enough do you need to research it anymore mm-hmm. and also there's a, a stronger point in that Sometimes it's a cathartic experience. You've, yeah. you've you've got all this out and you've done what you set out to achieve because you have come to a new place. But, you know, I'd say all I'd encourage you is the rest of us need to know, too. <laughs> we want to do the journey you've been on and we can't do it unless you release it. <laughs> so you, you, know, you get to that place. You know what I mean?
0: Someone suggested, too, you could always come out with a second
1: book. <laughs> to show you <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Um, stories I often tell as an illustration of how hard it can be, because uh, there is a fight, isn't there? I think there's a there's a wrestling that goes on for our spirituality. Is why I, I, you know, my, the title of my book is "Pause: a, sp- a Spiritual Power," but the subtitle is "Discovering the Entrance to Our Spirituality," because I think there's almost a hidden entrance. There's a doorway somewhere and we we seem to struggle to scratch at it. When I was really younger, I used to, I come from a place called Coventry, which is further south than where I'm currently living. And we had an Olympic swimming pool. And uh, me and my friends, when we were about 12 or 13, me and my friends used to go there and they got an Olympic diving board. So, you know, I don't know, they're like three, four, five metres high. I think it's five metres is the, is the top one. And um, we used to dare each other to go up and dive off and i was useless absolutely useless at it but i remember that the the plan was not to dive off it but to get to the bottom of the pool because it was a 60 i think it was 16 feet deep i remember that we get in and you'd be swimming for life you know holding your breath trying to get to the bottom forcing through the water and sometimes you just you touch it with the end of your fingers but you then have to return to the top for air (laughs) <laughs> because you gonna <better> die. <laughs> you know, there was no way you could linger. Wow. And I often think spirituality, spiritual moments, pause moments are a little bit like that, that we mm-hmm. we seem to wrestle through something. And occasionally all we get is this tiny little glimpse. I'm very conscious that we must never regret that, never regret that we yeah. we set out to have a moment in the garden with the hawks yeah. or whatever it is. And you know, we only got three seconds, or we only got five minutes, because you know, ultimately, they all add up to a greater consciousness of our spirit. What well, you know one of the things I say in the book is that if as long as we pursue rationally and reasonably mm-hmm. uh, the spiritual moments, at some point it'll be in our DNA. You know, one of the, actually, one of the sentences I've got in there is is that we should. Teach our hungry body and our ravenous minds to stand to one side occasionally and let the spirit just let the spirit through and not to inhibit and hold the spirit back. And it's quite difficult. I think it's really hard. It's very hard for a Westerner, it's very hard for somebody Mm -hmm. intellectual. And I don't mean clever, I just mean if you enjoy books, you enjoy ideas, you enjoy philosophy and exploring all these things I love it makes it really hard for my brain to switch off, you know, because I'm yeah. analyzing, you know. <laughs> you know, is this the spirit, you know, is it the cheese I ate last night, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's I mean... all these things, getting those moments is not <laughs> easy. It's not easy. It isn't. It's really worth pursuing.
0: You know, what's so interesting is what you said about the DNA. What did you mean about that?
1: Well, yeah, DNA is, obviously, that's a physical, tangible, you know, it's in the mm-hmm. material world, isn't it? But by the DNA, I mean, we use that phrase DNA to represent our entirety, don't they? You know, they say, you you know, they, they can they can write your DNA down, you know, stick it on a computer, yeah, and they know yeah. exactly who you are. Yeah. That's a, a medical, it's a mathematical reality. They can tell you exactly what you are um, as a person, humanly speaking. Well, somehow we don't have a DNA for our spirit. But I think that we are taught to understand ourselves and see ourselves in just those two dimensions. You're an emotional being. You're a mental, rational being. Um, you're a physical being. But we never, we never really taught We're also a spiritual being. And the spiritual part of us, and this is my personal belief and what I've come to understand is, I'm utterly convinced that the spirit within me is the only bit of me that will ultimately continue to exist within the universe. Now, I have a very clear view of that. I'm a Christian. I believe that there is a God. And I believe that my spirit will be present for all eternity Mm -hmm. with God. And and that's a long debate in another five books. But that principle, I believe, and, and it's that that convinces me that I need to invest a bit more in the in the vehicle that's going to carry on, not the one I'm abandoning. You know, the, you know, like if you, it's like having two cars on the drive, and you know, one of them is close to the end of its life. And there's nothing you can do to stop it going to the scrap scrapyard. So you don't want to spend Saturdays cleaning that. You want to spend Saturdays on the the one you're keeping. And so I look at my spirit and I think, well, that's the bit that's staying. You know, that's going to carry on. So. I don't want to neglect my body and I don't want to neglect my mind, but I don't want to pretend that those two things are going to still be knocking around in 200 years. But actually right. there's a bit of me that will be. Mm-hmm. And that's the bit that I really want to get to know. Yeah. It's it's a little bit like, you know, in the church we, and there's nothing wrong with this, but we talk a lot of getting to know God and getting to know the spirit and spirituality through the Holy Spirit, for instance, within the Christian faith, and that's there's nothing wrong. That's great stuff. But I think first and foremost we need to get to know our own spirit too. I have a spirit that I need to understand and that it exists, and it's who I am. And that, to me, in faith terms, I don't don't say this exclusively at all. In faith terms, to me, when I say I'm a Christian. I believe that it's it's that part of me that the God who is spirit is connecting with. Otherwise, it would be an intellectual faith and all it would be is knowledge.
0: That's what I meant with the come to know yourself. You yes.
1: Well, you now you will know as you have been known. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I'm quite excited. I'm I'm excited about the next million years.
0: <laughs> well it'll, it should be interesting it will be <laughs> and i thought a lot about this too right now because the reason why i was bringing up dna is because you know we're all made of the same as nature you know we're made of the same stuff and so of course we're going to see similarities right i think about how mother earth is reacting to being polluted to being abused to yes. being burned and uh, just raped. And I think of humans, how we are reacting to being abused, being separated, putting all this toxins in our bodies. And now we're having cancers and all of these, you know, viruses, and and also which has to do with Mother Earth. There's viruses that are surviving and in, in areas that would have never and also, there's a cycle of how Earth has destroyed itself. And I think about us, where we evolved to very quickly, just in my lifetime. I'm Gen X. Yeah. <laughs> I'm chicken nuggets, okay? That's how I, always, <laughs> I always think about chicken nuggets, my generation. And so much has happened. And I look and, and I speak with and my elders. I love to talk to someone who's like in their 90s. Yes,
1: yes. Uh,
0: I mean, and listen to the way they have perceived everything happened so quickly and what they've gone through and experienced. It's crazy. Just in a hundred years.
1: Well, we've accelerated the destruction of the world and it's because we don't value it. And interestingly, when you speak about cancers and things. None of us wants to catch anything. You know, we, we, we want to live forever. We think there are choices because I worked so long with people in poor situations Actually, there's very little choice when you're poor. But when you step back and look at it on a, on, a, on a global level, it does seem to me that we've misunderstood our responsibility to the earth. And, you know, right back in Genesis, I uh, have this discussion several times with people. In Genesis, there's this terrible phrase that we are to subdue the earth, like somehow God created the world, gave it to us for as a toy to play with and wreck whereas i think it's totally the opposite i think is it's actually that we are we're guardians we're supposed to protect right.
0: yeah. and
1: we don't we've stopped protecting it and you use that word which is absolutely true we're just raping the earth and it is now speaking back and it may be again i you know am i speaking out of turn i don't know but it may well be that we've misunderstood that the earth is this small little ball in a universe. And we may think that we have got the upper hand. But if this world is part of a universe, um, it's more powerful than we think. And and its kickback might be harder than we can ever imagine. So I I think, and have you heard of Gaia, you know, the, the theory of Gaia, there is something about if you leave your garden and go away for six months or a year, you come back. It's just been taken over by everything that it wants to. Vegetation comes back. I think it wants a rest, and it's going to tell us it's going to have a rest. Surprise! <laughs> it does. You know, during COVID, if anything, one of the interesting, potentially good yes. news stories was that the skies were given a break you know pollution was reduced less car travel all those things happened um i i read uh, an article today about subsistence farming and i was thinking it was written in the context of of people in sub saharan africa um trying to eke out some food you know eke out a bit of a living but actually we use that word small farming if you like as a description of something that's poverty and not good. But surely it would be better for us all to be growing our own food if we could. Is the answer a combine harvester the size of a small city? I mean, does that really do us any favours? You talk about food. The more we mass produce something, surely the greater the damage we're going to cause.
0: Or what would happen? We're so reliant on the outside world that, i know i am uh, yes I we are yes ability. i mean i don't have a garden in my backyard thank god you know i do know someone who does if anything ever happens
1: <laughs> you can go and get some carrots <laughs> i don't have the green thumb i need to so, try,
0: maybe Wait, it's you
1: know, interesting <laughs> it's interesting you say that just again a thought comes straight straight to me when we are speaking about speaking to elder pe- older people mm-hmm. whenever you speak uh, to people that are that have been around a while and they're mm-hmm. quite mature um, and if you particularly speak to people of a deep, sensitive spiritual nature, they often use a lot less. You oh, know, yeah. they're very often, um, very often vegetarian or semi-vegetarian. They're much more conscious of their their footprint on the earth. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you go to the great masters. Uh, you know, and you find they they fasted for forty days or whatever it was, or sat under a tree. Yeah. Their damage to the world around them was limited by their mm-hmm depth of spirituality and so i'm utterly convinced that the more present we become the more conscious of our environment and the more conscious the more kind we are yeah you know we're kinder to the world around us so yeah yeah i think the world needs to pause
0: yeah you know i also think about the indigenous people indigenous teachings even still today you know to honor earth
1: to honor it yes Yeah. yeah
0: it's really sad that we've moved so much out of it because of materialism and money and power, which is very masculine. And I feel like we've been on one side of the scale for a long
1: time. It's actually, yeah. That Well, that's, that's a, that's another, a great topic is dualism. Why do we have to have an in and an out and us and a them, a you and a he, you know, yeah. you know, that dualism is about division. Um, and, and, we're actually much better off together than we are apart, aren't we? And that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I do. I completely get that. Interestingly enough, and a very personal story is that I, because I grew up with three sisters, I never had any brothers. And I've obviously got, I've got a wife, and two daughters. So, um, yeah, uh, you, um, you're in touch. <laughs> I'm very interested. <laughs> interestingly, though, we used to have uh our office at, at this charity where I worked was pretty sexist really in the sense that mm. the division of labor was all the guys were grunting, lifting furniture and all the, all the, all the ladies were typing, you know, it wasn't a terribly sexist environment. It was a very good environment actually. But I was known as the honorary woman in the office. <laughs> 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 they, they, they all, they all used to say, how come you understand that? And I say, well, I've been what? around it all my life. <laughs> so, but then, yeah. I, I get your point actually that, you know, again, you know, I'm very conscious these days that I, wherever I can, I, I, I try not to refer to God as he or she. I, I think God is God. We, yeah. we suddenly, we sort of, we, we sort of bind yes. up our right. belief systems in these things.
0: The and white guy with the beard on the, yeah, throne.
1: that is the image we have put in. And yeah. it, it takes us right back to the beginning of our conversation that actually we sometimes arrive at, a conclusion that someone else gave us so mm-hmm. if you just opened the bible and just began to read mm-hmm. would you conclude certain things you know you know um you know i'm, I'm neither for it or against it but would you find the trinity if, if you weren't told it was there you know there's all yeah. kinds of stuff
0: or what um, about angels they don't look like campbell Soup babies it clearly <laughs> describes yes something totally different michelangelo made
1: cute angels yes and that's you know that's like the jesus image isn't it you know this bearded gentle guy i i i just think that we we need to move away a little bit from that Mm -hmm. and that's probably for me the great attraction of of exploring spirituality and trying to come to terms with that you know in terms of spirit there is no male or female there is no old or young there's um, no gender there's no race nothing there's nothing, mm-hmm. there's nothing. Right. and that that is really really key and actually within spirituality i think that's probably true in terms of even people that are exploring spirituality yeah. uh, maybe are likely to have a, a a more open view of the world yeah. um partly because you're not invested so much mm-hmm. you know your investment is not in the material, is it? Yeah. Um, and that, that yeah. And also spirituality for me certainly takes me on a path of being less anxious about what people think about me or, you know, where my place in the world is. The um, no labels. It's, all that stuff seems to be stripped away within spirituality.
0: So that's why I think it is good to be curious because you're going to be curious during your spiritual journey. I mean, when you get to You that- have to be, Yes. I mean you wouldn't you wouldn't be to where you are had you never showed up to that baptism. <laughs>
1: no, no. And also to explore, you know, and ask questions yes. And, yes. and challenge things, you know. Right. Um yeah. Uh, yeah. I I call it looking over the fence. There's no harm in looking over the fence.
0: Right. Discernment. That's important. You know, I had to shed a lot of things and so I was open to all of these new things. And so I think people can easily be pulled in because it's in our DNA to be part of things.
1: Yes. And yeah, belonging. So, yes, yeah. yes. I think that's why in the book as well, I talk a lot, quite a bit about trying to discern, is this my thinking, is it my thoughts? Yes. Is it my feelings and my emotions or is it spiritual? And then understanding, you know, I mean, I do talk a little bit about the reality that the things we fear either never really happened or well, they're never gonna happen. Mm. Because fear, for instance, isn't primarily living in the past or the future, not in the present, is it? You know, and it's the same with religion and religious expression and understanding. It's about stripping it all back, yeah. but mostly it's about finding about who am I. I mean, I know for instance, you you'll you be the same, most of us have got quite a good idea of what sort of character we are. And, mm-hmm. you know, when we when we when we're reacting wrongly to something. So mm-hmm. I get all that. And so I know that when it comes to spirituality, I, I know I know the difference between, for instance, when I'm praying, I know the difference between me trying to uh, negotiate intellectually with myself, mm-hmm. convincing <laughs> what I believe to be God is yeah. not really interested in getting my own way. Mm-hmm. That's and well, I, so that's not praying that's right. a that's an internal conversation um because i've probably done something wrong i've upset someone i'm trying to find a way to get forgiveness you know yeah. I mean, instead of owning up and going and saying sorry um mm-hmm. so there's that goes on inside us you know which is all psychological so and and then there is the spiritual interaction the real journey and that's when we enter the presence when i talk and i think about prayer There are moments in my life when I just know there haven't been words, but there's been an interaction, a conversation beyond my intellect with the God of the universe. Mm -hmm. And it was a spiritual thing. So I can't tell you what it felt like really. I can't tell you what words were exchanged because none of that happened. It was a spiritual happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the word deep is always inadequate because (laughs) It's oh. not that it's deep, it's so different that mm-hmm. we can't really, truly grasp it. But my whole point of my book is if we don't intend to or desire to, we're probably never going to. You know, it's a bit like the child that, that says they don't like spaghetti, but never, ever tastes it. They right. don't know. We have to be willing. I actually hate spaghetti, by the way, but that's another <laughs> matter. Have you tasted it? I have tasted it. Okay. <laughs> For me, yeah, pausing. I chose the word pause because it's simply, for me, it isn't just the stopping. It's the being something, doing something else. In fact, the, the word pause came to me when I was writing the book. I had always used the phrase and couldn't understand it. The trigger came. I was watching um, Home Alone, actually, with my grandson. <laughs> I love that movie. He literally paused the movie. He picked up his phone, had a conversation with his mum, switched his phone off and went back to the movie and I remember that we missed nothing right and I thought that's it we reason we don't stop and pause truly pause so to truly pause is not to sit down and think about something a different way it's literally to stop everything just freezes the world freezes Mm -hmm. and And the reason I use the word pause is because it reminded me that when I come back, everything's still going to be where it was. Wow.
0: No time and space.
1: Nothing's moved. Whoa. You know, Carlo Rivoli, he he wrote a book, he's a scientist, and he wrote a book about time. He's into time in a big way. It's his his life (laughs) concept. Uh And he he talks about time, not uh, past and present, not existing, because everything that, is it that we think was in the past is only existing because we've dragged it in our mind to the present and, th- and the future is something we dream of and conjure okay. up. It's not happened yet. Yeah. So the only thing we really have is this very moment. And that's why I think pausing is the answer in this yeah. moment.
0: What a deep, profound moment with your grandson. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes.
0: I've had moments like that too they're in the oddest places and you have to pause to be able to get to those moments
1: yes yes you do yes
0: you're just full of wisdom thank you so much (laughs) it's
1: great to talk it really is
0: yeah I often have said lately that rabbis have been some of my greatest teachers lately when it comes to spirituality but now I'm going to have to add the chaplain to (laughs) my. thank
1: you Thank you very much. Yeah, I
0: appreciate your time in in your book. So tell everybody where they can find it.
1: So, yeah, the book's called Pause, A Spiritual Power. Um, uh, And it's by me, Rob Wykes. And you can get it. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the usual book outlets. Tell me what you think. Um, I'm easy to find. My website's dead easy. It's myname.com, you know, com.
0: So it's Rob, not Robert.
1: Yes, yeah, Rob. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Like only Robert when you get in trouble.
1: Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if I hear Robert shouted, I duck. Yes.
0: Well, thanks so much, Rob. It's been a yeah. pleasure. Okay. And I appreciate you so much for this time.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And uh, bless you yes you too i'll let you know in this pause
0: yes yeah i'm sorry what did you say
1: enjoy many moments of pause
0: oh i need to sit with that i'm gonna pause and just sit with that yeah thank you thank you thanks for listening to sense of soul podcast and thanks to our special guests for joining me if you want more of sense of soul check out my website at www.mysenseofsoul.com where you can work with me one-on-one or help support Sense of Soul podcast by donating to my coffee fund. Thanks for listening.